0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reed podcast. I'm not sure where to look because uh, basically I'll I'll explain. Uh, I'm recording with the camera, my standard camera. I'm also recording via Zoom just in case the camera messes up for whatever reason. And... I'm recording you know with my audio mixer so uh in three different places at once it's a bit confusing but yeah uh we're covering all on all bases because I have actually had some technical problems lately and it's very frustrating uh when it's in a call because right now I can edit this up I can chop this up it's just me I can redo it right but if it's an interview I can't just like redo it do you know what I mean and I always find it a bit unprofessional to you know, stop it midway or, or like, come up with some excuse. Like, I can't do that. Like, we'll see it through. The show must go on, you know. That's kind of what I believe, and that's how I approach it. But anyway, um, yeah, I've been a bit, like, I was a bit worried about this particular podcast because, uh, and I'll be be truthful, um, I haven't been able to find another guest. I do, as of recording this right now, have one more guest that will... Uh, well, an episode that will be coming out soon, but um, I haven't been able to come up with any new guests. And it kind of made me think about the fact that, you know, I shouldn't have to just have guests on the show in order to kind of have the show, if that makes sense. Like, it, it should be something that I'm able to continue with or without guests. And with that in mind, you know, I did kind of notice that the episodes where it was just me talking might not have been as interesting, and I wondered. Well, how can I make that better? How can I make these episodes more engaging and make it something that people do look forward to, you know? And with that in mind, it kind of came to me that, you know, maybe I should actually do my research for this. And it will sound strange because obviously this is a wrestling episode. So, how much research do I really need to do about something I talk about quite often? Maybe not as often as, as I'd like to, but you know, I talk about it often. I am always mentioning it in conversations, and you know, I've even spoken about it on the podcast to certain guests. But this time, I actually decided to sit down, structure the podcast, and actually have something that's kind of deliverable. Um, follows some sort of a structure. For those who don't know, when I when I do my interviews, you know, I have a, um, a sort of a structure in terms of the questions that I am going to ask my guests. And depending on the cow, cal- yeah, depending on how the conversation goes, that'll actually determine, you know, on what order that I ask the questions, or if indeed I even ask certain questions, because you know sometimes um, certain questions are just answered through the course of the interview, or you know maybe I decide that they're not as interesting, or maybe not appropriate. I mean, it's very rare that that's the case, but. Um, Actually, I don't think that's ever happened. But, you know, there's always that concern. You know, I remember there was one question I had possibly about mental health or something like that. And I was unsure whether to ask my guest about it because it's a sensitive issue. And I want to, you know, be careful of people's uh, feelings and and respect them, you know, because they're a guest on my show after all. I want to respect them. And, uh, but I still asked it and I, I think I asked it in the right way and, and it turned out okay. So, um, yeah, but I, I like to have that research ready and some sort of a structure ready and something to deliver. So I hope that, you know, maybe these episodes are interesting and that people can find some value in it. Uh, I'm trying my very, very best with this. So bear with me. I'm just going to have a little bit of my coffee cause I'm still waking up and, uh, mm. It's good. It's good, but um, yeah. Moving it forward, actually. Um, speaking of, of everyone listening to the podcast on various uh, platforms, just want to say a big thank you to everyone that has been listening to the podcast on these different upcoming platforms. I know that we recently arrived on Overcast FM, and I'll, I'll be honest, a lot of these um, platforms, such as Pocket Casts, Radio Public, like. I wasn't even aware of until I started podcasting. So now I'm becoming more familiar with what's actually available. And uh, I actually saw in my stats recently that uh, we're starting to appear on Overcast FM. So shout out to everyone watching on Overcast. Um, and also just shout out in general to to wherever you're listening. Because I did a recent Twitter poll. Um, if you don't know that I have Twitter, I have Twitter. That's where you can find probably all the latest updates for me either there or Instagram. Uh, I, t- I tend to tailor each social media platform according, according to different things. So like Twitter is, is where I talk about everything. Uh, pretty much the quickest updates if you want to interact with me. Um, it's at CPK Reeve. So that's CPK And also on Instagram at Christian underscore Reeve. And on there, it's like a mixture of music, updates about the podcast, various other things, you know, latest YouTube stuff, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) But anyway, I sent out a Twitter poll asking, you know, where do people listen to the podcast? Because I thought it was a pretty interesting thing, sort of just gauge where my audience is at, and also just in general, where people like to actually listen to podcasts. And uh, I got 11 votes. Uh, I ran it for about a week. So this is pretty good going considering because <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of my tweets unfortunately don't get many reactions I mean I've been tweeting like crazy like about you know trying to get people on the show and I just I've had nothing lately <laughs> so it, it, it really is a hit and miss type of thing with with me and social media but anyway this one was successful so we're happy with that poll results came in 11 votes 27% of you listen on YouTube 27% also listen on Spotify, 9% listen on Other, so I'm kind of curious as to where, you know, that that would be. I should have said, like, oh, please specify in the comments, so I think if we do future polls, it'll be good to know in the comments kind of where people actually listen and stuff, just to kind of understand and learn to some um, to some. I can't speak today, which is kind of a problem if you're doing a podcast. (laughs) Anyway, 36% of you said that you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcasts. And that um, corresponds pretty much with my stats. I think it's 50% of my viewership is on Spotify at the moment. But yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, we recently got on Apple Podcasts. Um, it was a big achievement, and I was very very proud of that. So um, can only really go forward. I think moving from here. I don't think it really matters as 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 in terms of like how the show is. I think the only difference between you know obviously like Spotify, Apple, and then like YouTube is obviously on YouTube it's a, a video podcast as well, whereas on the other platforms it's not. And I I try to think about that whenever I'm doing the podcast in terms of how I can tailor it to both audiences. And I think at the moment it's working very well, but the only thing that has helped and has shaped it, I would say, is the fact that when we started doing the video podcast for interviews, I think that helped a lot with interacting with the guests because obviously we can actually see each other. So we can kind of uh, react to each other's facial expressions and, you know, there's that kind of thing. I think it's it's better. It's it's like it's always better to, you know, call someone versus texting. Do you know what I mean? Like you get you get more of, of the person you understand better, nothing's lost in translation or, or whatever. And I've enjoyed doing them video style as well um i think there has been a slight bump in the viewership as far as youtube is concerned but um i think that the the slight increase in in viewership is more down to the fact that we have more of a structure now you know because i have been trying to figure out how to do this podcast and um i am still figuring it out but i think now we've at least got something that's kind of easy to follow and you know helps you to to just I guess stay on board with it. You know, it's not just like a rambling mess. And that kind of brings me back to today's uh, topic as well. Like with other podcasts I've done where it's a a Christian only podcast. So it's just me talking. I didn't really have that structure because I thought I could approach it like I do with my YouTube videos with just a basic idea of what I'm going to say and then just kind of ramble on and talk. But with a podcast, I don't think you can really do that. You need to know exactly what you're going to say as you're going to say it so you can kind of move seamlessly between each section and not have these like awkward pauses or like umming and ahhing because I don't think anyone really wants to listen to that, especially if you're listening to this like, you know, on your way home or something or on the way to work, you know, no one wants to listen to someone going, uh, 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 mm, uh, like, no, no one wants that. <laughs> so anyway... The main event, wrestling. Why, why did I choose to talk about wrestling? Well, I've never actually done a full-length video where I've solely talked about wrestling and like why I love it and how I got into it. I've, I've mentioned little things, I've tried little things on YouTube because it seemed like a no-brainer to do content on, on, on wrestling. But truth be told, I didn't get a very positive response from the community um when I did the wrestling stuff it was actually quite negative and I didn't even say anything controversial I think it's just the nature of of wrestling fans in general they're very passionate can get very aggressive um unfortunately and it just puts me off making content about wrestling so while you will have heard me talk about wrestling here and there I don't ever kind of commit myself fully to it because I just feel like it's something that's Not really. Oh, that's my neighbor leaving. See you later. (laughs) I don't feel like it's something I can fully commit to because I I think I need someone to riff off, you know, like I mentioned in the the podcast episode that we did with the professional wrestler, Matt Rivera, he obviously uh, invited me to his podcast, which I hope is still happening because that would be amazing. But like, I feel more comfortable appearing on someone's show rather than doing my own because I don't quite frankly, have enough time to consume all the wrestling that there is, Uh, I have to pick and choose what I watch, and um, I work a lot as well on everything that I do, so I do have limited time, and um, there is so much wrestling content, so much, I mean, even between the two main companies in America right now, you've got at least between 10 to 15 hours per week, just for two companies, it's crazy. It's probably it's probably a bit more than that to be honest but like on average but um yeah I mean it, it I've always just been put off by it you know I did the little videos here and there, but people always want to get aggressive with opinions and it's silly because it's like any other thing in life it's just an opinion you know it's not like I'm saying this is fact I'm just saying this is what I think, and that's how that's my approach to most things you know um like when I did my review on Tenet, I I said like genuinely what I thought, you know. Um, I interestingly I did a I did a video recently for my second channel where I it's my first ever like sort of clickbaity title, and it's not wrong. Basically, I talk about the the problem with the movie, right? Which is its sound problem. There's a big sound problem when you go and see it. Like you can barely hear the dialogue, which is a massive problem, especially when they're talking about really important plot devices or important details. So I'm going to need to watch that again with subtitles. But uh, it's an excellent movie, so I recommend going to see it. But anyway, I did this uh, this video for it, and I had the title ready with with um, that in mind. But I decided to just put it as. The problem with Tenet, dot, dot, dot. And obviously, it's got a bit more views. And I, th- the funny thing is, it hasn't got any negativity because I don't actually slag off the movie. I say that it's great and I put it over. But I do talk about this audio problem, which most people, I think, can agree with. problem with wrestling is that when you put an opinion out there, even if it's the prevailing opinion that most people have, you'll still have loads of people getting really aggressive and just shouting at you online you know and just and just be like you're so wrong you're such an idiot and it's like it's just opinion it's just it's just entertainment who cares no one is right or wrong this is silly and moving that forward you know i mean because professional wrestlers now are very active on social media and you can interact with them we're seeing more and more uh professional wrestlers having to leave platforms because they're getting basically harassed by fans and the fans are being very, very horrible. And it's just unwarranted. I mean, they are still people, like professional wrestlers, you know. They're not superheroes. They might portray them as as far as, like, kids are concerned. You know, they're playing characters and, and such. But they are real people. And they, and they take things on board. And, you know, they they take things to heart. And I think people... that's That's what I mean. Like, I take it to heart when I put out a video and it gets loads and loads of hate. Because... You know, I don't go out of my way to create content that annoys people. I create content that's genuinely my opinions. And if people disagree with me, I want to know why. And I want to debate them. I don't want to argue them. I want to find out why they have a different opinion. Um, it's healthy. You know, it's a healthy debate. More coffee time. <laughs> this is why I need a co-host or something. Someone to just occupy the time when, I, in between coffee sips. <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of um, why I don't generally do wrestling. But I wanted to do a definitive wrestling episode where I just talk about it. And then if I never talk about wrestling again, fine. This was the one and only time that I did it, you know. And I have appeared on other people's podcasts to talk about wrestling. Shout out to John John Lennon who allowed me to go on his episode to talk about WrestleMania 17. That was phenomenal. I loved it. It was great. Exactly the sort of thing I want to be doing. Um, One of the reasons I want to talk about wrestling is because I I happen to know a lot about it. Um, I've been a fan for probably somewhere between 20 to 25 years. Uh, Or no, maybe that's that's a bit too much of an overestimation. About 23 years, 20 to 23 years. I got into it when I was about five years old, give or take. And um, that was like my first initial exposure to it. And then a couple of years later was I would say was when I really got into it because I think like most people when you get into wrestling you just randomly stumble across it either because a parent has shown it to you and you just sit there and you're captivated by it or because you kind of have this situation where like you're f- flicking through the channels and you come across it and that's I think might have been my experience like my mum told me about apparently there was a time when I was sitting in a play chair and it came on and there was like probably like WWF Raw or something with people like hitting each other with steel chairs and I was like what is this this is amazing and I'm pretty sure when I was younger I came across an episode of Raw I'm pretty sure it was because it used to be shown on channel four so it could have actually been Smackdown actually that would have been more likely but it was really late and I was watching it when I shouldn't have been (laughs) and I'm fairly certain that I saw a man that uh, visually looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I was captivated by that. I thought that was really cool. And then I couldn't find it for a couple of years. Um, cause I didn't know what it was. I was just a kid. You know, we didn't have, um, the internet as we have it today. Now we didn't even have it in my house then. And this was like what the mid nineties or something. Um, so, you know, it was just impossible to find out what that was. And I was like, Oh, okay, that sucks. And then a couple of years later, I was about eight or nine years old and uh, I had a best friend called Christopher. He's a really good guy, a very, very eccentric kid, uh, had a lot of different interests. And one of those interests was professional wrestling. And he just showed me so many cool DVDs of wrestling and video. Like there was a video that he lent to me that I watched religiously. I think it was like top raw moments or something from like a particular year I can't remember when but a very good compilation video um, back when WWF used to release uh, this is a WWE by the way for those who are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about it's not the World Wildlife Fund it, it's the W World Wrestling Federation as it was known back back before before 2001 I think but, um, before they changed to WWE, but yeah, they did all of these uh, compilation videos with um, Coliseum Video and they had like lots of, that, that was a really big help in terms of discovering various wrestlers and angles. So I discovered like, you know, Degeneration generation X through that and Raw and The Rock and all these different wrestlers and, and stuff. But I think the biggest thing that stood out for me was there was a particular day where me and Christopher watched WrestleMania 18. And I'd never watched a pay-per-view before, so I didn't really know what I was watching. I just remember his enthusiasm. He was like, you have to watch this. This is incredible. You have to watch this. And, you know, I'm a kid. I mean, you know, I'm impressionable. But do you know what? I have the same feeling that I have now when I watch it because on that particular pay-per-view was a match between The Rock or Dwayne Johnson, as he's now known, <laughs> versus Hulk Hogan, um, arguably the most famous wrestler of all time. I mean, it's up for debate. There's many other famous wrestlers. I mean, Ric Flair comes to mind, Stone Cold, obviously, Triple H, I mean, there's a list. But as far as like popular culture is concerned, it's, it's definitely a toss-up between The Rock and, and Hulk Hogan. Um, so this match was huge and I remember just being captivated by the spectacle of it, you know, the match itself, as far as wrestling is concerned, was not like a spectacular technical in-ring performance, but it had everything that I love about wrestling and what I regard as good wrestling, as far as like crowd reaction is concerned and like a captivated audience and like, emotion and storytelling, like, they barely had to do much, but they created this fantastic moment that will live on for generations, I mean, WrestleMania 18 was in 2002, and we're still talking about it today, you know, it was an incredible, incredible event, it was in Toronto, Canada, uh, Canadian fans seem to just be fantastic. Like, I, mean, I think they did the Royal Rumble either this year or last year there, which is a major pay-per-view that uh, WWE puts on somewhere around January. And uh, yeah, whenever they play in Canada, uh, or perform in Canada, it's always a huge spectacle and a really, really exciting experience. And uh, it might sound weird to think about that, like, oh, what difference does it make watching... You know, wrestling on a screen at home and seeing there being a crowd versus not having a crowd, and I can tell you that in this modern er era that we're in now, where there's like no crowds, it really does affect how you watch wrestling because the performers kind of perform off of the crowds and they kind of play to the crowds and. You know, the crowds are like a good barometer, I suppose, of, of, you know, how uh, over a character is or hated a character is or, you know, if there's an apathetic feeling to a match or a storyline or whatever the case may be. The crowd ultimately dictates like what gets over and what I mean by getting over for those who don't know is that it means what's popular, what is popular with the crowds, with wrestling fans in general. So, when you're saying getting over, you're saying, you know, is this wrestler getting over? Is he getting popular with the crowd, you know? And it's funny, like, how, you know, wrestling works because you can be positioned and booked because everyone knows that wrestling is is not real, okay, it's staged. And, like, I do take exception with this because I don't think it's, it's fully fake in the sense that, you know, wrestlers get injuries all the time and... I think it's closer to stunt work, really. I mean, it, it, they are performing, they're helping each other, it's, it's a simulated fight, it's it's not real in that sense. And there is a, a, a predetermined winner. However, the, the contact of it, it is very real. And like stuntmen, they are trained to, stuntmen and women, because we have female wrestlers too, um, they're very well trained to protect themselves in the ring and to lessen the blows so when you see them slamming each other down on the mat that is real right they they'll do it in a way that like lessens the uh the impact so it won't be as painful and sometimes you might not even feel it at all but the ring is actually essentially wooden panels okay, with, uh, you know, a couple of materials over the top, that's that's your ring, that's what you're landing on, right, (laughs) Um, so, like, I think anyone that slams down on that will tell you that it's painful as hell, and, um, you know, a lot of people, when they're in wrestling training, and that will be the make or break thing, like, how much can they, with due and like that will ultimately decide if they become a professional wrestler or not I think for me like I always wanted to be a wrestler growing up but I think that for me is a is a big factor my pain threshold is just not high enough to, to withstand that uh, although I think I would make a good wrestling manager I'll, I'll still put that out there or, or maybe an announcer or something to that effect I would love to be involved in the wrestling business in some shape or form one day that would be fun <laughs> but anyway um yeah bringing it back to the the perceived fakeness of wrestling it it, it really isn't fake I mean the fakeness of it is in the fact that it's not real versus you know like UFC is real or you know it's not real in the sense that like you know when they're striking each other you can you can tell that that's not real I mean even from a young age I realized that isn't real and you know I had little things where like if I was watching WWF and you know one of the guys would hit you know another guy with a trash can lid you knew that it wasn't a trash can lid because if he actually hit the other guy with a trash can, he would have died. (laughs) Like a a head injury with a legitimate steel trash can lid would kill you or at the very least give you a brain fracture or something. Whereas when they hit each other with these uh, clearly fake uh, trash can lids, you can tell that they're fake. But then there's other things like the steel chairs, which are very real. And um, people have gotten many concussions from receiving steel uh, chair shots and stuff to the head. And uh, often when you see wrestlers now hit each other with things like uh, steel chairs or kendo sticks, as an example, the way that they do it protects the performer. They have to be very careful about that to avoid injury. But they're still going to get injury because they are attacking each other with a genuine instrument. It's It's real. That part of it is real. And that's the thing about when people say, oh, it's fake. I can't agree with them. You know, it's practiced. it's, It's well done. You know, the better the wrestlers are, the more protected they are, the less likely they are to get injured. But wrestlers get injured all the time. It's inevitable. And it's much more real than you think. Um, and it's very brutal in many cases and often you know many people have died in the ring many people have had life-threatening illnesses because of it or have you know life have had injuries that have ended their career uh, pretty succinctly or that's the wrong word uh, pretty quickly and um, it's because of these moves and, and how they can go wrong and it's dangerous. It's, it's not what you think it is. It's, it's, much, it's much more dangerous than people realize. So I have always taken exception with that. But I think the wider reason that I, or the bigger reason that I took exception with that and still do is that, you know, people use that as the sole reason not to, to watch it. And it's, it's fine if you don't like it. You know, you like what you like in life. But it's no different to watching, say, acting, you know, in a movie or a TV show. Like, you don't get angry at the actor or the TV performer and say, oh, this is fake. You know what I mean? That would be absurd. And it's the same with wrestling. Wrestling, in my opinion, is like a sports theater, which will sound crazy, but, I mean, WWE calls it sports entertainment, and I think that works. But I think theatre is a better example because it's it's like a live-action performance with storylines, you know, which heighten a feud. If it was two guys fighting each other, which often it sometimes it just is, um, they need to still tell some sort of a story. And classically in wrestling... There's always been a, a kind of a, a story in the actual ring, as opposed to you know maybe outside of it. Maybe outside of it, you know the the if you want to call it the the storyline would be that there's a good guy and a bad guy. You know I don't like you, I don't like you. That's the fight, right? And sometimes it's enough. You know if if, if the guys you know uh, let's say one of the guys is particularly menacing in terms of his size and the other guy is a bit smaller then you've got a, like a sort of a David and Goliath kind of battle or you know maybe one guy is a bit more muscly than the other guy so it's a, a question of power versus speed you know you've got all of these classic kind of stories that you can tell in the ring but ultimately, the in-ring performance itself is a story as well. And I can direct you to many, many different matches where, you know, it's told well. But I think that it's not just about, like me, Then this is my personal opinion, good professional wrestling, in my opinion, is a mixture of the good in-ring performance, athletics, and, and, and like the simulated fight aspect, and also, you know, the, the characters, you know, the characters doing certain moves that are in line with their character like you know like if you're a bad guy you're looking for a way out you're looking for the cheap victory right so if you wrestle in that manner then it works you know like for example the the prevailing style right now is is very athletical and or like verging on gymnastics lots of flips and jumps and all stuff like that and then that's just the style you know i'm not i'm not criticizing that but I do think that if you're going to make that effective and make everything mean something then for example if you're a bad guy I think you should do less of that you know I mean because if you're a bad guy you want to win quickly you want to win easily and you want to like you know get the cheap victory so the last thing you want to do is put yourself through anguish you know you you, or put yourself out there too much exert yourself because the idea being that you hate fans you know you're all full of yourself and there are certain wrestlers that do this you know that um the only time maybe they go against that is if if they're trying to just like you know show off or something which again is a heely move right whereas the good guys uh if psychologically they're doing it in in the in the classic we call it a baby face right so the the heels are the the bad guys and the baby faces are the good guys right faces and the good guy will want to actually perform, put on a show for the crowd, win it fairly, not take any any um, shortcuts. And then you've already established right there a difference between the two performers. And I think that, that there are many wrestling matches where that works. And I think every match needs that dynamic, really. It's not always necessarily the case, but I think the best matches will have a good guy and a bad guy. Even if, you know, you're going into the match and both guys are bad guys or both guys are good guys, you need one or two out of the match that are like one or the other because that helps the match a lot more and helps the crowd to get behind a particular performer. There are exceptions to this rule and there are many examples of where wrestlers have made it work and it's just been, you know, a good match and everyone's happy with it and stuff. But I think The best wrestling is performed in that manner. Now, where the storylines come into play is that they kind of add to the stories themselves. And they kind of give them this, um, I don't know, more believability, I guess, in a way. Like, you know, you can get more behind a guy if, if you've seen for the past couple of weeks on television that he's just been embarrassed by the other guy or... You know, like for example, a popular one is, is, is you know if the um, one of the wrestlers has like his girlfriend, you know, in the company or or like you know on on television, then the other performer, the the bad guy, can poke fun at that in some way and make insinuations and you know make it personal. Basically, the more personal you make it, the more weight it gives to the feud and the better the match will be overall. And then there are other things, like if you're building a feud, you know, um, you want to limit the contact that they have and kind of push to the pay-per-view because that's the event you're leading to. So with a feud, you want to have like little bits of, um, you know, physicality here and there, but you kind of want to leave people savoring for more. You want to get to that final match where, you know, every time they try and get you know, into contact with each other they're broken apart you know they're kept away from each other there's you know, maybe the bad guy is coming up in some way or getting one over on the good guy and you know basically when you get to that pay-per-view you want to see the good guy beat the hell out of the bad guy that's the ideal scenario for for a good feud and that's has worked so many times and works to this day you know even though we live in an era where we, we everyone knows what's going on and all wrestling fans are really smart. You call them uh, smart marks, which um, a mark means um, just just being like, I guess, kind of like a fan that's in the know, that's kind of uh, you know b- believes in it. Maybe sometimes people use that term in a nasty way to say like, oh, they they're kind of. They believe in it too much, they take it a bit too far. But I think a lot of people just kind of see it as like a, you know, yeah, I'm a big fan for this, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of this. Now, Smart Mark is something that's kind of originated recently and it refers more to wrestling fans, I guess, such as myself, where, you know, you have a lot of knowledge about the business, insider knowledge. But the thing is, it's not really a special thing um, everyone has knowledge, you know, everyone knows about it. Uh, wrestlers openly talk about the business executives, people that have worked as high, um, business owners in, in the field, you know, they all talk about it. So it's, it's nothing special. And, and this is why I don't take people's opinions in the wrestling community very seriously, because they're just opinions Do you know what I mean? Like, the only people whose opinions I really pay attention to personally are wrestlers themselves, and then, whoa, holy crap. (laughs) I seem to be wrestling with my mic. (laughs) Wow, let me see if if that's still going. Is that still going? Oh, wow, okay. Well, sorry about that. Uh, For those, (laughs) I did not expect that to happen. Right, that's, that's embarrassed me a little bit. So those listening on, um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and whatever, I accidentally just hit the mic out of my hands and it's, it's on like a a container to keep it basically held upright so it has closer to my, um, to my face and also in line with the camera that's uh, filming me right now. <laughs> and I got a bit excited and threw my hands up and then boom, it went flying. But yeah, oh, I've lost my trailer thought now, God damn it. I've lost that. That's that's annoyed me now. Wrestling, wrestling. Well, I'm gonna go back to the idea of suspended disbelief. Um, I think this is something that has become harder and harder with wrestlers talking about it, and with with everyone kind of knowing what's going on. And this idea, this this concept of kayfabe, is something that's been kind of eliminated in more recent times. Uh, it was something that, you know, people in the business always knew that it was, as um, many insiders say, a work, meaning, you know, it's it's not real, it's staged. Um, and shoot, by the way, means the opposite of that. So shoot means it's real. Um, and you often hear them talk about a thing called a shoot promo, where they actually talk um, candidly, like honestly, Um, from the heart they're actually being honest and it's real Um, but the the only times that these promos really tend to work is to draw people in because everyone knows that it's a work and that it's it's not real so in order to get to people's interest you want to do something called a shoot work promo or work shoot promo I I probably got the terminology wrong there but the idea is that you present a promo to the wrestling fans and you give them two-thirds of of basically truth like you know a lot of knowledge that they know to be the truth and then you say you start going into the lie part you start going into the not lie let's use a different word um fiction and then that leaves the crowd guessing because they don't know what this situation is so they're like oh is, is that real because i know that the other stuff was real and in truthful so does that mean that's real and then that draws in the intrigue so that's where a work shoot where you're using real life knowledge and information can work in 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 modern wrestling but i would say it's a lot harder for wrestlers to kind of get over in today's age because you know it back in the 90s you know famous wrestling stables like the nwo made it cool to be a bad guy and because everyone kind of knew the situation and what's up with wrestling and the fact that it's it's you know it's staged and it's It's not real, so to speak. They couldn't really get behind the good guys anymore. You know, the classic idea of the baby face, classic Hulk Hogan, good guy. No one liked that. They liked the bad guy. The bad guys seemed cool because they just didn't care. And that worked with the counterculture of, of the 90s. Now, obviously, times have moved forward. Times have moved on. But bad guys are still cool. And the weird thing that happens now, is often is the case, is that a guy will be a bad guy... And he'll do it really, really well, and the crowd will really get behind him as a bad guy, and then he'll have to basically turn into a babyface. Because, you know, if the crowd reaction is that good, you have to kind of roll with with the crowd. And this is what I was saying in the beginning about how the crowd dictates anything. They dictate who is a star and who is not a star who they are apathetic towards and who they are not. So listening to your crowd is an excellent way of being successful within the professional wrestling industry because if you're doing that, you're ultimately giving them what they want. Um, that 's not always to say that that 's necessarily the right thing to do twenty four seven I think that you know wrestling companies still need to go with their own creative ideas and and put out what they believe is their vision because you know you can 't always give the crowd what they 're expecting. You need to throw things out there that are left field things they never would have expected because you never know what 's going to work. A classic example of this is sometimes when you put two wrestlers together to form a tag team that no one would expect to tag together. A lot of the time, it, it, it comes in this situation of like, everyone's like, what is this? What, how can we get behind these two guys? This is awful. This is dreadful. Like, screw this. And then inevitably, a couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, everyone loves the team because they have this chemistry that no one saw coming, right? And this is kind of what I mean about presenting something that is unexpected, that no one really saw coming. Now, bringing that back to the idea of suspending disbelief, at the end of the day, everyone knows what's going on. Like I said, everyone knows the fix is in. Everyone knows that it's not genuine what they're seeing. But you have to approach it like everything else in life, you know, where creative is concerned. So music, uh, no, not when we're talking about music, theatre, you know, drama, acting. It, it's it's in that bracket. I would say it, the the wrestling part of it is important. But I think it's closer to the arts and, and drama and theatre than it is to actual sports. I mean, obviously, wrestling, you know, professional wrestling comes from amateur wrestling and, and a mixture of other different styles, you know, martial arts and all, all sorts of things. So the, and gymnastics too. But, you know, it's not like completely really about that. Like for me, uh, a good wrestling match has elements of everything. It makes you emotional, it, it makes you intrigued to see which guy or girl is going to win it kind of leaves you guessing you know sometimes you can kind of predict how a match is going to go sometimes you can't it's the unpredictability it's it's the you know you especially if you've been a fan for a long time you kind of go into it thinking like oh I know what's going to happen I know how they're going to do this and then they do something you don't expect or maybe it's terrible and you hate it or maybe it's the best match ever. Sometimes uh, my favourite matches are the ones where you're sitting there watching and you honestly don't expect it to be much and it turns out to be the best match. That is always my favourite thing. Especially when it's a match that's like not even on the main card. Like WWE is guilty of this. They have this thing called, uh, well they call it the kickoff, but we call it the pre-show. <laughs> so it's basically like a couple of matches just before the actual show on a pay-per-view is about to occur. And a lot of the time they just throw random matches on there, like a random title feud or, or just a random match where, you know, maybe there's an ongoing feud between the two people, maybe not. Maybe they've just thrown a match together. But there's been a couple of times when that they've done that and that has actually been a show stealer. And that's not what they want. They want the show stealer really to be the main event. Uh, sometimes it will be a match that's the middle of the card. Sometimes it will be a match that's at the beginning of the card. You can never really tell what's going to happen. And it's funny how these things work. For example, going back to that WrestleMania uh, 18 that I spoke about earlier. Okay, no more coffee now. i finished the coffee. (laughs) The Rock versus Hulk Hogan was not the main event. It was either the match before the main event or two matches. I believe it was the match before. It was kind of sold and marketed as the main event. But it wasn't the main event. The, the main event, traditionally, at least with WWE, has always been uh, the World Heavyweight match, the World World Championship match. So that particular year, it was Triple H versus Chris Jericho. And um, that's not to say that that isn't remembered. Triple H had a very good year in, in 2002. But the match that is remembered for generations and generations from that pay-per-view is The Rock versus Hogan because of the crowd response... Everything those guys did in the ring, the story they told. I mean, going back to what I was saying before about the good guy, bad guy dynamic. In that feud, Hulk Hogan was the bad guy and The Rock was the good guy. But the crowd were so unbelievably behind Hulk Hogan that The Rock had to play the bad guy. And he's fine with that. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has always been a very good actor. And he's always um, in in the sphere of professional wrestling. Has always kind of been able to fit easily between those roles. And many uh, professional wrestlers, successful professional wrestlers, are able able to do that. Like modern examples include like Chris Jericho, uh, Cody Rhodes is a very good example of that. The Young Bucks, and obviously I'm talking more about AEW wrestlers right now, but. Those guys are able to do good or bad very easily, but they're able to switch it in a match as well, which is very difficult to do because you're essentially going into the match with an idea of how you're going to wrestle and then the crowd mm, is so massively behind the other guy that you have to do a switch and turn it around. A classic switch, actually, which they call a, a double turn uh, turn in, in the industry would be Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. I believe at WrestleMania 13, where Stetton Cole, Steve Austin went into the pay-per-view as bad guy and Bret Hart went into it as a good guy. And by the end of the match, Steve Austin was the good guy. Bret Hart was the bad guy because, you know, Austin went the distance, lost, but never gave up. And that sort of won him over with the crowd, whereas, you know, Bret Hart was a bad guy, wouldn't let the hold go that he had the guy in, you know, cussed the fans out and... With you know within the course of one night turned himself into the bad guy and, and ran with it and um that's the same thing that happened in in the rock versus Hulk hogan and it was a spectacle and it's it's the it's the match that's remembered and that's what happens when you have a show still when you have a good in ring performance that speaks to the crowd that plays off the crowd I mean the crowd is a very important element and we're beginning to see the crowd come back more and more with uh, AEW uh, pay-per-views but unfortunately not with um, with WWE right now and uh, other promotions as well in the industry it seems to be only AEW that's actually doing it um and um they're doing a limited capacity i think it's like 30% of their overall capacity for the venue that they use Uh, and, uh, going back to WWE, uh, they're using this thing called the Thunderdome right now, which is basically a bunch of LED, uh, screens, which have wrestling fans on them. But, um, like they're, they're not like, it's not like actually having fans there. It's, it's different. It, It works. It's them trying and I'm not trying to shit on the idea. Okay. I think it's very, um, I think I think it's it's reasonable that they they've gone for this. I think it's 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 a good thing to to try out. Um and I I kind of knew that this would happen years ago. I just had a feeling that one day this would be trialed. I didn't think it would be because of a pandemic though. I just kind of thought that it would happen because of just technology and and changing demands and stuff, but I think this whole experience has kind of taught us that nothing beats, you know, being there in person. You know, I've seen professional wrestling in person as well, and nothing can beat that. Like watching at home never compares, but watching at home is still captivating. And it's especially captivating when you see the the wrestlers um, reacting to the crowd and vice versa. And you can see, you know, what we call uh, the pop in the industry when, for instance, a, a, a wrestler returns or um, and we haven't seen them in a long time or if a wrestler you know comes out to a big ovation because they've turned up in a new company you know something like that it's really awesome to see the crowd response to that but in in this uh, era of no fans we haven't seen that and it's presented a very different product but the wrestlers have done a very good job of, of still presenting a product that's entertaining And that kind of proves that you don't necessarily have to have the crowds to have good wrestling, but it helps. (laughs) Uh, So that's kind of um, just talking about the death of kayfabe and, and, you know, just crowds and everything like that and how it's changed over the years. But just going back to the suspended disbelief thing, um, a couple of things I want to say on, on this is that I think that good wrestling is logical and will still kind of put forward moves and a wrestling style that is logical and and makes sense you know like one thing I see a lot in wrestling now which kind of annoys me is this thing of guys standing outside of the ring waiting to you know receive a guy that's going to slam onto them right uh and they have to do that to catch them okay I know that it's a safety thing I know why they have to do it but it just looks so obvious and it it stops me from being able to suspend my disbelief. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things in wrestling that are just illogical anyway, and always have been. Like there's this move called the Irish whip, where you grab an opponent's arm and basically put one hand behind their back and push them in the direction of the ropes so that they run at the ropes. Now, anyone who does that in real life, if you would do that, the person isn't instantly going to run. They're going to probably fall over because you're pushing them forward and like yanking their arm so they're probably just going to trip and fall over they're not going to start running forward right so the irish rip is 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 illogical in that sense but um you know this happens here and there there are little things where oh why why wouldn't the guy defend himself there why wouldn't he do this and that's where it's difficult to suspend your disbelief with wrestling and i think one of the reasons why many non-wrestling fans don't like it and don't get it But there are many wrestlers and and, and wrestling matches that are put on that don't have these things or have very little of these things, and you are able to suspend your disbelief and really enjoy it. But like I said, there are these examples that happen here and there that I think little things could be done to tweak it a little bit. So for example, that one I gave of a guy standing outside the ring waiting to receive the other guy. He could do a thing where, look, you know that you can see the guy out of the corner of your eye right you can see them running towards you so you could do a thing where you're acting kind of groggy and you like you're like oh and then at the last minute you catch the guy because you maybe want to try and slam him or something or or you know you're literally just def- defending yourself something like that that makes it much more you know easier to believe than standing there looking up and going oh 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 yeah got you you know but that being said, I'm not a professional wrestler and I understand how important it is in situations like that to catch your opponent and stuff. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, they could like break their neck or something and it could be very serious. So playing devil's advocate there. I am obviously trying to be fair and and, and realize that, you know, as a professional wrestler, you have a responsibility. to to your opponent to protect them. You have to protect each other. And that's the thing that people don't often talk about with wrestling, Um, particularly non-wrestling fans. They don't get that, you know, wrestling is performance and the guys aren't actually, you know, feuding. They don't actually hate each other. Um, It's just a performance. So they need to protect themselves and they need to be careful. And that's part of the reasons why a lot of it, you know, maybe. Is not as, uh, <laughs> is maybe why some of it is a bit faker, let's say, than other stuff. And I understand that. As a wrestling fan of, you know, like I said, more than 20 years, I get it. I, I understand why it's like that. But anyway, um, these are, yeah, I went off on quite a tangent there, but I covered a lot of things there that about wrestling, um, but uh, I can see these questions that I've got here that are very basic. I just want to finish off wh- how I got into it. So like I told you before that match with uh, Hulk Hogan versus um The Rock WrestleMania 18 was probably my calling moment. I think I was like right, you know, this is amazing. I love this. And after that, you know, it was all the standard stuff. I was a kid so I bought ra- wrestling action figures I remember there was this store that I used to go to all the time, and it was a real treat for me to to get wrestling figures. Like it was it was so exciting; it was like Christmas every time I would get wrestling figures. <laughs> and it was a really weird store. Uh, it was on a high street, and it was a weird clothing store for like old people. Um, that sometimes me and my mum would go to. Um, I don't know why we would go there other than to get the wrestling toys, because it, it was the sort of thing you walk in. It's like old people clothing. And my mum was young, she was like in her twenties. So I was like, What well, why are we going here? And then at the back of the room was like sports equipment. Randomly. They sold random sports equipment, like footballs and stuff. And then when you went upstairs, that's where all the toys were and all of these um household goods and stuff. So I would go crazy and look at all the Lego and and the wrestling figures, but wrestling figures was where it was at and I was big into that and from there on, um, obviously 2003 was a very big year in wrestling, and um, all well, every year is big, but I think as far as pay-per-views are concerned, it was a very good year for pay-per-views. Um, I bought a lot of the WWE, I was a big fan of WWE, which is World Wrestling Entertainment, which I told you before, and that used to be the World Wrestling Federation. So I, I grew up on WWE, as I think most kids do. Um, I, I was a little bit into WCW, which is World Championship Wrestling, which was uh, their competition for many years, who closed in 2001 because they basically bought their competition, WWE. But um, I was more into WWE. I, I always preferred that and the style. I just, I don't know, it spoke to me. And uh, for the next couple of years, yeah, I bought a lot of the DVDs, 2003, 2004, and uh, the games, I would say, were a big part of why I was interested in wrestling. So, we're talking WWE, just bring it. No, I think the first wrestling game, actually, that I got was WWE Smackdown for PlayStation 1. Um, I always adored the games. I've always thought the games were very good. I'm not so much into the new ones, the 2K ones. I can't really get behind that, personally, but... I was really into all the Smackdown vs. Raw series, Road to WrestleMania, WWE Raw, uh, Day of Reckoning, but everything they produced for PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, I thought was excellent. I think my favorite wrestling game probably is Here Comes the Pain, uh, WWE Smackdown, Here Comes the Pain, or WWE Shut Your Mouth. Both of those were excellent, and I played those a lot when I was a kid, but as it pertains to wrestling and why, why I enjoy it so much. It was one of the reasons that I kept, you know, watching wrestling and consuming it because I was so into, um, the games and the games were really good at kind of giving you a snapshot of every year in terms of like who was on the roster, who were the biggest players. They would do storylines that sometimes would be exactly what happened on television or sometimes something that might likely happen. But they were a good way of kind of expanding that universe, you know, making it more, I suppose, kid-friendly as well, appealing to children, and uh, just expanding the lore of it all, I guess. Um, But then, you know, I kind of, as I got older, you know, teenager, (laughs) discover girls, discover all these different things, getting into my education, I just didn't have time for wrestling anymore, and... I kind of just fell out of touch with it for a couple of years towards the end of my teens and into my 20s. So I didn't really know what was going on. And then fast forward to about 2016-ish. So I was in the second year of university and I got back into it, got back into wrestling. I met a couple of people at university that were big fans of wrestling. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll give this a shot then. Uh, Maybe I'll see what's going on. And it took me a while to get back into it to, uh, you know, understand what I'd missed and everything, and, like, the wrestlers... Yeah, there were still a lot of guys that I remember around, and people that... What was interesting was they were just starting out or were very young when I was... uh, When i just finished sort of being involved with it, and then when I came back into it, now they're stars. So that was really cool and interesting to see and see how they progressed. Like, someone like CM Punk was different uh, and that you know, now he's a top guy as opposed to like a guy that's coming up, you know. So it was it was interesting to see, but um, yeah, um, I, I got hooked again, and wrestling changed for me from that point onwards. Uh, now I have a newfound appreciation for it. Uh, I would say from that point onwards, I became a lot more knowledgeable about the business of the business, and uh, I paid a lot of attention to all the shoot interviews. I consume all the podcasts that are out there like um 83 weeks with um eric bischoff and something to wrestle with comrade thompson you know these are insider guys who were on-screen talents but they were also big behind the scenes guys and uh, that was very interesting for me particularly being a business student and and a marketing student you know, it was very interesting for me to understand how the wrestling business actually works on that level. So I was interested and, and still interested from that perspective. And it's one of the wrestling one of the wrestling, one of the reasons why I'm interested in wrestling even more so and why I would like to work in it. It's not just the creative element and, and being on screen and or being involved in, in some creative capacity, because that's what I'm into. It's also to do with the um, the actual business itself I find it very intriguing in terms of how it works and how how it's changed over the years you know it used to be that it was purely based on ticket sales and merchandise and merchandise and ticket sales are are still important I'd say merchandise is still a huge factor but now it's also about streaming and um, you know things like the WWE Network or the Fight app or all of these things like paid subscription apps where you can watch wrestling content on demand You know, the way wrestling is consumed has changed and the industry has changed and what people like has changed. But I think the biggest thing that has changed above all else is the amount of wrestling. Oh, my God, there is so much wrestling. (laughs) Here's just a couple of companies in America, just a couple. okay? you've got WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. All Elite Wrestling, which is the new major wrestling organization in America, um, arguably the second biggest in the world, but it's up for debate. You've got Impact Wrestling, formerly TNA Wrestling or Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. MLW Wrestling, which I believe stands for Major League Wrestling. You've also got Ring of Honor. Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling from Japan, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and then a bunch of others. <laughs> but the two major ones that I follow are WWE and AEW. But in particular, I subscribe to AEW because WWE, for me, is not as enjoyable as it used to be. Uh, for me, every year, I suppose I'm a bit of a casual WWE fan, so I always watch the pay-per-views every time. So I keep in the loop, you know, I keep up to date um, roughly with with what's going on with the storylines every week. But it, there's just too much. There is too much content. I mean, WWE Raw on a Monday is three hours long, and you could cut that show down to an hour and a half, and it would be just as good you don't need three hours it's just too much and i think like aw has it right um you know their weekly show AEW dynamite which happens on a wednesday is around about an hour and a half give or take and uh it's a, it's a lot more digestible and wwe has programming that is is like that too um wwe smackdown for example is only two hours long that's much more reasonable for a weekly television show uh, but then they also have NXT, which is two hours. And then they've got Main Event, which is, uh, I believe, for an hour. And then they've also got... Um, what's the Cruiserweight one? Oh, I'm going to get murdered for this in the comments now. Ah, oh, That's the Cruiserweight division. God damn it. 205 Live, that's the one yeah i mean that's just a couple of shows they've got like wwe has like a monopoly as far as wrestling is concerned in the industry they they are everywhere around the world they have fans all around the planet they are the biggest known you know when you mention wrestling pretty much everyone non-wrestling fans concerned knows who wwe is if you say AEW, yeah, not many people know necessarily wrestling fans will know but non-wrestling fans, maybe not. You know, they're only still emerging. I mean, recently, they just managed to get their um, wrestling merchandise in the stores, in, in uh, American stores like Walmart. So they are emerging. They are coming. And I think in, in the coming years, they're going to become a bigger and bigger, you know, entity. I would wager... <laughs> that we are entering a second phase, because the wrestling industry is cyclical, it has ups and downs, and I think that given that we've got this major company that's emerged, it will be a little bit like it was in the late 90s with WWE and WCW, I think there's going to be more of um, a battle now though, because it's international, much more international, so it's much more there are many more countries that the product is consumed in and it's much more accessible than it, than it was before, you know? So now people aren't relying on if maybe they can see wrestling on their television in, in some random part of the world. Now they can actively watch it anywhere they are in the world on demand. Right. So it makes it much more accessible, which means that the likelihood of wrestling becoming more popular, I think is, yeah, is much more likely now because it's just more accessible. But, um, in terms of like how much programming there is, I would think that WWE needs to cut down their pro- programming considerably and also work a little bit on their creative. They do kind of do a lot of self-serving stuff. They don't listen to fans a lot. They do a lot of things that are against fan decisions. And it's frustrating because WWE at its best is excellent. This is the company that brought events like uh, the Royal Rumble, which is one of the best ideas ever conceived. It was made by a gentleman called Pat Pattinson, one of the wrestling industry's biggest um, icons, just a fantastic wrestler and all-round creative guy behind the scenes at WWE and he came up with this concept of the Royal Rumble which is this brilliant idea it's a 30 man uh, event and now uh, there's uh, the female version as well so it's even better you get when you when you get the Royal Rumble that comes around every year you get two versions of the Royal Rumble match the men's and the women's so it's brilliant <laughs> but uh yeah 30 people go into the ring uh the, it starts off with uh two competitors and then every, let's say, a couple of minutes, usually every minute or every two minutes, a new wrestler will enter the ring. Sometimes the ring can get packed out with people. Sometimes it's like um, people, you know, coming in and out, like, really quickly. That's where you can kind of tell the Royal Rumble story in different ways. And it's been told, what, we're talking like 30 different times in many different ways. That's what makes it engaging, because you never know what to expect. But other more interesting things about it include... The surprise people that turn up, people that haven't been working for the company for many years, people that maybe have never worked for the company, will potentially appear in this match, which makes it kind of um, exciting every year. You never know who's going to show up. But also the way that the wrestling uh, match has actually uh, played out. Because typically in a wrestling match, you win by pinfall or submission. So submission being that you either choke out your opponent until they, you know, are knocked out and they can't perform anymore, or you make them tap, so submit. And then the pinfall literally just means um, holding your opponents uh, back to the mat with their shoulders down, and usually you, you know, lift their leg up or something and hook them and you count to three. Or the referee counts to three and then that's a pinfall, winning by pin. But the Royal Rumble match works on the premise of having to throw your opponent over the top rope with both feet touching the floor. So It's a unique concept, but it works, and it's unique because I think it's not a match that occurs all the time. You do get what we call battle royals, and uh, companies like AEW have done them as well. Uh, But battle royals tend to be a bit different, uh, generally less competitors and a slightly different style, but essentially the same format. But the Royal Rumble in terms of its presentation, its overall appearance and the spectacle of it is just something that wrestling fans the world over always look forward to. And I think most wrestling casual fans always look forward to the the period between the Royal Rumble to WrestleMania, which is a period of about three or four months between January to April that time every year. WWE always steps up their game, and their programming is excellent. Even the weekly programming is generally excellent because they're building up to WrestleMania. They're trying to get everyone involved because they want the biggest kind of turnout for WrestleMania, the biggest um, WrestleMania yet. So it's this whole long build up of trying to get everyone involved. You know, trying to get celebrities at the event, like trying to. Get as much mainstream attention involved around the event as possible. Like they're really trying to build it up as much as they can, but unfortunately, the rest of the year, it's not always like that. And you know, they do they make a lot of errors and they do a lot of stuff that's frustrating. And they, you know, they'll get they'll be supporting a guy giving him a, giving him what we call a push for a couple of weeks and then they'll just randomly stop supporting that guy and, and just not bother booking him or book him to lose or something. And it gets very frustrating being a being a WWE fan, I would say. And that's what makes uh it a lot easier to consume the other companies like AEW, Impact, Ring of Honor, because they do much more logical wrestling. That's not to say they always do it. Um, you know, they make their own mistakes too. And I've always been very fair in terms of my criticism. I've always applauded WWE when they've done well and criticized them when I don't like what they do. Same with AEW, same with any other wrestling that I consume. I'm always fair about that. And I think most uh, reasonable people are because, you know, it's opinions at the end of the day and you're entitled to your opinion. But ultimately, you want to be fair because what we all want is for wrestling to always be good. You know, we don't want it to be bad. When it's bad, it's frustrating. Because you know it could have been good, and you know what they could have done could have been a lot better. And um, when you have a company like AEW that listens to its fans and kind of puts out content that is much more appealing to that, it makes it much more enticing as a product to consume. And like I said, that's not to say that WWE never does that, but they could do it. Much more, and they could appeal to their fans in in a stronger way, rather than putting out stuff that's outdated or going against you know something that they've been building up towards. I mean, I think that's the most frustrating thing of all is when they've been building up something and then they just do nothing with it. I mean, a really good example is from a couple of years ago. They have a female wrestler called Charlotte, who is this excellent uh, competitor right at the top of um, the women's sort of wrestling industry, right and she had this pay-per-view streak now in the context of wrestling in general in general it doesn't matter okay but in the context of wrestling in the in the wrestling world wrestling logic right if you have an undefeated streak generally you're going to want to do something with that like if the person loses you you want to make it mean something you know you want them to lose to someone who's like a big deal right She'd won, I think, somewhere between like 16 to 18 straight pay-per-views, something like that. It was in the double digits, right? She'd like won every single time consistently, not, won, not lost at all. And then randomly, won, one time in like 2016, 2017, she just randomly lost on a pay-per-view to someone. And the frustrating thing about that was that they did nothing with the person that she lost against. They just kind of carried on. And WWE's attitude generally is that wins and losses don't matter. And I have to disagree. Like, I think that, because their argument is that it doesn't matter to the fans who wins or loses. But I disagree. I think that even in the current industry that we have right now, I think it matters more than ever. Because it helps you get behind a person, because it shapes your perception of that person. If you see them winning every week, you kind of get more into the idea of them being. A champion but it's not just the fact that they win it's how they win as well so if they're a bad guy and they've like for instance MJF is a perfect example of this he's a up-and-coming AEW wrestler who is a bad guy right and he everything that he he does is consistent with a bad guy the way he uh, bad talks his opponents the way he carries himself the way he wrestles his matches exactly what I said in the beginning he wrestles like a bad guy and it works Every time he won, he won unfairly. He would punch his opponent with a diamond ring when the referee wasn't looking and cheat to win, right? And that's how he wrestled every single time until he got to his recent um, World Championship match, where he tried that, you know, again and still lost, right? But point is, it was believable. And everyone was like, oh, screw this guy for getting, you know, a championship. And even, like, the the reality is everyone's behind him because everyone can see how unbelievably talented this guy is and just how much of an excellent performer he is and how much he's really good at playing a bad guy. (laughs) But he is excellent at being consistent with his character and doing things that are logical and that you would expect to see from his character. And that's what makes, I think, wrestling much more interesting is when you, you know, can see that a guy is being consistent and doing things that are logical within the context of their character. Now, if they're doing something that's not logical, sometimes that can mean that they're going to turn the other way. So they're going to become a bad guy. But you can normally see that coming. You can see like little hints of that and I think that again is part of the nuances of professional wrestling when you do little things here and there and you plant seeds you show things to the fans little things here and there you kind of push them in a direction this is something that I think AEW does very well the little subtle nuances and again it's not to say that WWE doesn't do that but it's less often a lot of the time it's like hey support this guy we think he's the best we're going to shove him down your throats. And it's it's very frustrating. But, you know, praise where praise is. Um, they've, WWE have done really good things in more recent times, such as with Roman Reigns returning to the company. They have finally turned this guy into a bad guy. And it's something that we've wanted for so many years. But I think that the biggest success with this is not even the fact that he's a bad guy now. It's the fact that the company is allowing him to be a bad guy they're allowing him to be who he is they're allowing him to be this cool guy they're not shoving a script down his throat and it's brilliant because Roman Reigns is a cool guy he is very cool and he just carries himself in a cool way and you can immediately see that he's not pent up like he was years ago because he's you know having to force himself to be like yeah I'm the good guy I'm this guy he's just yeah, I'm Roman Reigns. I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Yeah, that's his attitude. And it's more believable and it's more fun and it's easier to get behind. And I think that's kind of what I'm driving at with this is in wrestling you want believability, you want logicalness. Is that a word logical logicality? You want <laughs> you want everything to be logical because it makes it more interesting. And I guess this is kind of like my message to those non-wrestling fans who don't get it. It's like, yes, we know that it's not real, uh, but it's like everything else. It's like acting, you know, movies and stuff. You know, it's not real, but just as the same with, um, with wrestling, it's the same with acting. If you see a bad acting performance, it pulls you out of the movie. You can't sort of watch it and take it seriously if the if the person you're watching is, is performing badly, if they're not acting well. Because it's like you don't believe in the character. But if they perform really well and they act really well, you can totally get behind that character and you can totally forget who that character is as well. There's been so many uh, characters I've seen over the or actors, I should say, over the years who maybe they played like a particular... Per- like Ashton Kutcher is a very good example. For many years, he played that kind of happy-go-lucky uh dumbfounded kind of young teenager slash um, uh, 20-year-old. And that largely came out of his role in um, that TV show, that 70s show, right? But then he started going into movies and playing a serious guy. And I think his breakthrough was when he played uh, in the movie The Butterfly Effect. It kind of demonstrated that he can do serious roles. And because his acting was so good, it was believable and therefore that made it easier for the audience to suspend their disbelief and that's exactly the case with wrestling and that i would say is why i love wrestling is because there is believability in it there is excellent storytelling there is always something of value and entertainment value and when it's done well it's seriously entertaining from all different perspectives from the storytelling perspective from the overall performance perspective of the in-ring product from the the nuances that i spoke about before all of these things put together i think is what makes good professional wrestling now in terms of talking about the most successful wrestlers i mentioned a couple before but i think probably hulk hogan Dwayne the rock johnson roddy rowdy roddy piper jake the snake roberts uh i think i've mentioned rick flair didn't i stone cold steve austin kane the undertaker i mean there's so many ricky the dragon steamboat uh, brett the hitman heart it really depends what you mean by most successful if we're talking about you know the ones that made the most money and stuff then oh i think that's one of my cameras dying well i've got another camera going so it's all good uh, if if you're talking about, you know, who are the best paid wrestlers, then, yeah, you're probably looking at, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, um, Hulk Hogan. The, the, those, you know, maybe Ric Flair could be added in that conversation. But generally, it's it's that, those three. But if we're talking about the best kind of performers, you're thinking of probably, you know, Shawn Michaels, you're thinking of Brett the Hitman Ha. You're thinking of Mr. Perfect, you know. These kind of people were excellent in-ring technicians and they were also had what we call in-ring psychology. So they understood how to kind of logically lay out a match. And, you know, so if they're the bad guy, they know how to play the bad guy. If they're the good guy, they know how to play the good guy. It's like what I was talking about earlier. They can structure that match in a way that makes sense and is easy to follow as an audience member as well not just being the performer but actually being able to look at what's going on in the ring and sort of understand that it's like uh how can i say this like um just just something to get behind something that you can look at and say that makes sense that they would perform in that way that makes sense that they led into this particular thing you know it's it's it makes sense therefore it's good but um, most successful wrestlers, yeah. I mean, I think when I wrote that that little point down, I was kind of thinking of just like the, the biggest names. But I think it changes all the time. I mean, if we're talking right now, modern era, I guess the top the people that are at the top of the company, yeah. So like Roman Reigns in WWE, um, the Fiends uh, or Bray Wyatt. Uh, we're talking John Moxley, MJF that I mentioned before, Chris Jericho. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are emerging that are coming through the ranks who might be big deals in the future. I think Orange Cassidy uh, from AEW is one that I'm really excited about because he is a bit of an unorthodox wrestler. He's this guy that portrays this character <laughs> that's like the laziest wrestler. And I'll be honest, the first time that I saw this guy, I was like, what is this? What What is he doing? Oh, he's just kicking the guy's legs. He's not actually you know, wrestling and it was hard for me to get behind. I was like, Oh, I don't know if I like this. And then I got it. Then I started seeing that, you know, he would actually perform and very, very well, but he would kind of do this thing where he is lazy to a point. He's lazy until the point where he has to put effort in. And then he goes like naught to a (laughs) hundred. It's like, Oh my God, now he's a wrestling machine. And I was like, that was the moment where I got it and it's that kind of less is more thing he gives you nothing and then he gives you 100 percent. and it's not really a gimmick that i've ever seen before but it's an interesting gimmick and i think for that reason it works because it's different because it's something that you haven't necessarily seen before and a lot of the time with professional wrestling gimmicks are things that you know the the word gimmick is is kind of a word used to associate with the character or you know maybe something about the character you know like the way they talk the way they walk the way that they wrestle certain things that they say whatever the case may be that can be their gimmick it might even just be their name you know what i mean it can be something as simple as that but with um with this orange cassidy guy it's like a an approach it's a style it's it's like uh, something that you haven't seen before and a lot of gimmicks you have seen before in some shape or form they often tend to be recycled uh, or reinvented and that's fine because to be honest a lot of the time when you're seeing a gimmick again it's something that you welcome you want to see them do something different with it though it's like okay we're seeing this again but let's see it in a different way And a lot of the time, I think the gimmicks that I see that are reused and and reinterpreted are always done in in a new way and and done very well. But this Orange Cassidy one is an interesting one. It's one that I didn't see coming. And um, now I'm on board with, I like it. Um, There are a lot of other interesting gimmicks out there. I think the The Fiend one is an interesting one because it kind of harks back to the uh, Mick Foley gimmick of having three, the three faces of, of Mick Foley famously were Mankind, Dude Love and Cactus Jack and it was like varying. Uh, character differences all within the same guy and it kind of led this idea of like this guy is crazed you know he has all these three different characters and then they would do like silly things like there was a famous thing where they had Mick Foley uh, talking to himself uh, in an interview situation like sort of portraying the illusion that it's a different person it's not actually the same person and we all know that is the same person but it's just interesting to like blur the lines in that way in, in terms of the story you know it's fun and they're doing the same thing with uh bray wyatt right now right now you've got the fiend which is this like monster character and you've got bray wyatt himself who is this kind of like uh I suppose uh children's TV presenter that's lost his mind that's I think that's the probably the best way I could put it. Uh if you haven't seen it it it's worth even just checking out his uh, Firefly Funhouse. I, I recommend watching it. It's pretty hilarious. Uh and and kind of interesting from a horror perspective as well. Like I'm a big horror fan, so I really like the way that he's portrayed all these things and the way he's portrayed his characters over the years, particularly with with the fiend and everything he did with his older Braywire wire incarnation it really is something that's fun and different and he's also got this um character which he's sort of returned to more recently which is this cult leader character and i don't know if this is something that they're going to continue with but I think that they should go, um, WWE should keep pushing this idea of the free faces gimmick thing again, because I think it works with Bray Wyatt. It gives him room for versatility and, and room to kind of explore these different characters and try these different nuances, you know, because every one of these characters works differently. You know, the Fiend is just monster, aggressive, aggression, you know, that's it with uh you know craziness you know you hear him laughing and breathing heavily and stuff when he's wrestling right and he's seemingly indestructible but then you've got the normal bray wyatt character who is not indestructible and has been beaten right and then that creates like some sort of paradox in your mind it's like well how can the fiend not lose and be almost indestructible but then the bray wyatt character is beatable what they're not the same character and like everyone knows what's going on But in the realm of of wrestling, when you suspend your disbelief, it's fun. You know, it creates something different. It creates something that deviates from the norm. And that's what makes it interesting. In my opinion. (laughs) In my opinion. That's the important factor here. Now, where might the industry be headed in the future? I wrote this point down thinking I would have something profound to say. The question is, the answer I should say is, I don't really know. I think that the use of LED lighting is going to, you know, eventually, rep- it's not LED lighting, what we're talking about, the uh, the LED screens, the LCD screens or whatever, um, I think that's going to replace fans. I think that we will still have shows um physically in person but i I have a feeling that the the uh crowds are going to eventually be replaced by screens which is sad because i think that professional wrestling has and should always be consumed physically as a physical medium by fans in person I, i just feel it's better somehow um you know i've i've only seen professional wrestling two or three times in person in my life but um i would always put that up there as being far better than watching it on a screen um and i would say that's the case with a lot of things in life you know for instance i'd much rather talk to a person in person and be around them than i would want to you know talk to them over messenger i hate using messenger apps it it drives me nuts one of the reasons being because things are lost in 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 um in translation and you can't necessarily correctly convey all the emotions and things that you're thinking and things can get misinterpreted and also it it just takes long you know it's just having to like type like this it just takes forever whereas if you're actually calling the person or talking to them in person everything is is conveyed and shown you know what I mean? And I, I feel like with wrestling, it's one of the mediums where you need crowd interaction because the wrestlers play off that. And some of the greatest matches that have ever been performed have been, I think, thanks to the fans and the wrestlers being able to to play off the fans. And you think about those classic matches like John Cena versus CM Punk, uh, uh, Money in the Bank 2011, or, or even, yeah, Hulk versus you know um, the rock they wouldn't have been the same without the crowds they wouldn't have been the matches they are today they wouldn't be remembered in the same way that they are now had there been no crowds at all so i think that that might be where the industry is headed but i hope it isn't i hope that We can get through this pandemic and and move forward and return, at least as far as wrestling is concerned, return to crowds. And I would say that's the same for everything as well. You know, NBA, football, you know, whatever sports you want to talk about. They're just not the same without crowds. Um, I really feel the crowd makes the sport, makes the entertainment, makes it what it is. It's the same with concerts. You know what I mean? Like I just... I can't wrap my head around this. You know, I I just think it's much better. That's my opinion. Now, uh, as we, as we draw this all to a close, I actually have a fan question. (laughs) I say fan, Buckmeister Cull, who you might remember was on the second episode, I believe of the Christian Reeve podcast. My very first guest was kind enough to send in a question. Um, I did ask people if they had any questions about wrestling and I would obviously mention them here. And what I will say is that if I have future episodes coming up um, where it's just me talking, which there will be, I will be accepting questions and I will ask ahead of time. So if you would like your questions to appear in the podcast, then when I tweet out, make sure you reply and they will be here. This question um he asked me this, this question, and I've taken this in a general way, but I will address what he was talking about more specifically. So you'll see what I mean in a second. He said, why is Vince McMahon insane? But what he meant was in reference to the recent decision that WWE has taken to basically ban their wrestlers from having Twitch accounts and Cameo accounts. Now... The WWE wrestlers are independent contractors, right? And this has always caused controversy over the years because technically they can perform anywhere they want. They don't necessarily have to perform for WWE. But what WWE has always done is basically they own their likenesses. So if you see a wrestler like, I don't know, The Undertaker, right? The Undertaker, I don't, I'm not 100% sure about The Undertaker, actually. Maybe let's pick a different wrestler um, because The Undertaker might actually own his name. (laughs) Uh, Let's say, oh, Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens doesn't own own his name uh, because he was Kevin Steen on The Independents. So Kevin Owens uh, won't own his name, okay? which means that if he wanted to go show up in a, in an independent uh, show as Kevin Owens, right? WWE would seemingly get any money that Kevin Owens was entitled to, to earn for that show. Right. That's not always the case. WWE have allowed some of their wrestlers, particularly when they sign a contract and are returning to the company, they often let the wrestlers kind of finish off their dates and then come back to the company. But, the key thing being there is that they won't be using their name, their actual name that they used in WWE because WWE owns the names and the, and the likenesses. And what that means is like the uh, license to use their, you know, for instance, their likenesses in professional wrestling games or animated series or anything else that WWE sells, you know, merchandise, action figures, um, t-shirts with faces on, whatever, you know, merchandise in general, right? They own the likenesses but WWE wrestlers are independent contractors. So what that means is that they can, they don't, they're not employees of WWE. They have a contract with WWE where their time is essentially, I suppose, occupied is probably the best way to put it. And WWE has always done a good job of this of in terms of like making it so that their wrestlers don't have time to appear anywhere else because they, they, actively put them out on the road for 300 plus days a year now over the years i think that's decreased a little bit but it's still pretty much that schedule and i'm not talking about the pandemic period because obviously that changes everything but typically outside of the pandemic that's how it always was and particularly with the bigger stars if they're not wrestling they'll be doing some sort of other media they'll be recording maybe something for a documentary for wwe network or they'll be appearing on a show that wwe network is performing or maybe they're going on like the today show to do an interview to promote an upcoming uh i don't know pay-per-view or to promote something wwe related they're always doing some sort of media or maybe they're doing a charity event like for instance wwe is heavily involved with the make-a-wish program so they get their wrestlers to go and um basically see these uh terminally ill children or children with uh sicknesses and basically it's a really cool wholesome thing actually by the way Uh, i know john cena has done a lot of them randy orton cm punk a lot of wrestlers have done uh, these make a wishes and they've made children's days it's a really awesome scheme but anyway um they're involved with all these different things so it involves all of their time so they don't really have any time to do anything else fast forward to the pandemic yeah you know public meetings of this scale are not allowed so the only time the wrestlers are really needed is for television which is um you know a couple of times a week but the wrestlers won't always be required and wwe has been cutting their costs of late they've been letting wrestlers go uh, and some of those wrestlers have turned up in other companies uh they've let uh, you know surprising people go like uh, they they let a referee go recently mike kyoda who turned up in AEW recently uh, after 33 years and it was somewhat unceremoniously um they say it's to cut costs i say you cut your costs elsewhere i think there are other areas you you could cut costs before you let the talent go but you know i just think it's a bit shitty to to let your wrestlers go during a pandemic situation where you know they don't really have anywhere necessarily to go there are places to go but it's much harder do you know what i mean there's it's not as many options like for instance if you can't get into one of the big companies you know like the major promotions it's not like you can go to independence do you know what i mean like the independents are not allowed to put on shows so you're limited in terms of where you can go right now bringing it back to the time that these wrestlers have they have a lot more time some wrestlers like um Xavier Woods is a good example, or um, Austin Creed, is, a, is he's otherwise known. He's had a YouTube channel for many years, uh, which he set up, I, I believe, as he started wrestling in WWE. So sometime in 2015, 2016, he started up a YouTube channel. And all his branding has nothing to do with with him, uh, his wrestler character. Actually, it's, it's under Austin Creed, uh, which is his name. And um, his channel is called Up, Up, Down, Down. Now, he's, done, he's had wrestlers on there, WWE, uh, personnel and staff, you know, but he presents it as him and he owns that, right? And he also has Twitch. And many of these wrestlers, say like AJ Styles, for example, has Twitch uh, and they earn extra revenue from these things. But a lot of the time they don't use their likenesses or their names. Some of them do and have had to change them. So it'd be interesting to see if they're still allowed to do this. I know that uh, Lana who is the wife of uh, former res- former WWE wrestler Rusev, now going by Miro, had a Twitch account. And um, no, sorry, I tell a lie. Wrong person. Uh, Paige, WWE wrestler Paige. I do apologize. She has changed her name back to Saria, her actual name on um, on Twitch. And I don't know if this will work, but, Considering that she was going by the name Paige, which is her WWE name, which WWE owns, um, now she's changed it back to her real name. So I don't know if that will work for Twitch or if she'll be banned and not be able to do it anymore. But basically what WWE has said is that all the wrestlers that are using Twitch or earning money through Cameo, um, which basically is uh, is a thing where you can basically get people to send you money and then you record a personalized message for them, right? so basically they've banned all wrestlers from doing that they're saying no you can't do that we own your likenesses absolutely not you have like a week or something before we cut this and and, you know you're basically like you'll be fired if you continue doing this right and this has caused a lot of controversy and this is i think the reason why Buckmaster Cole sent in this question uh what is my opinion on that well i see it in different ways from a business perspective I understand the decision. Vince McMahon, you know, is the leader of the company. And from a business perspective is if his wrestlers are earning money outside of WWE and using their likenesses in order to get that money, he's missing out on potential revenue. You know, he's missing out on money. Um, and you could argue that WWE should put something in place in order to do that, which I don't, deny they will i think that now that they're bringing in this thing where they're saying no you can't do cameos no you can't do twitch i wouldn't be surprised if those same wrestlers are now expected to do the same things for wwe but not get paid for it right wwe's argument will probably be that well we're paying the talent to do this you know we're giving them x y and z amount of money in order to do this so with with that in mind you know it's not fair or from a business standpoint that they're earning money off something that we own being their likenesses and, 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 and everything in between. That's the business side of it. Okay. When I heard that decision, I understood it. I got it. I understood why. But see, I think more so with cameo, I think is the bigger issue because some of the wrestlers, I think uh, Big E, for example, would uh, earn as much as like 40 K through doing cameos. Right. And, um, you know that's a lot of money and he could have earned a lot more i'm sure many of those wrestlers could have earned a lot more through doing that but it's a it's a situation of uh should they be allowed to do that from business standpoint maybe not maybe you know if the company owns their likenesses maybe they should get full ownership over everything that they do however and this is where I disagree because my personal opinion is that this is a ridiculous thing entirely, particularly when you're in a situation where you're letting wrestlers go during a worldwide pandemic where they have seemingly not many options of places they can go. You know, it's not like they can just waltz into the next company. You know, just because you leave WWE doesn't mean that you're going to automatically walk into like AEW or Ring of Honor or Impact. That's not guaranteed. You know, that's those companies might not necessarily have the funds to take on everyone. They might not need everyone. That's the thing. You're not guaranteed anything. So if you get let go during this time, it's very hard There's, you haven't got many options as a professional wrestler. Right. And if you've got all this time in the world, where you're not having to wrestle all the time you know you're not having to do the live events which is a lot occupied a lot of the time when those professional wrestlers weren't in the uh the global pandemic you know they were wrestling event to event and then the weekly raw smackdown nxt so there's a lot of wrestling going on plus dark matches as well that happen before and after the shows so that they're, they're occupied like pretty much 24 seven that's why you hear wrestling stories of like never seeing their kids never seeing their families because they're actively on the road 300 days a year uh sometimes ratchet, wrestling several matches in a day you know it's it's really intense stuff plus they got to fit time in to you know work out and keep themselves in shape and you know like i said do all of those things with regards to um media meetings and stuff so they're, they're constantly doing stuff but during this pandemic. They're not, they don't have as much, uh, commitments. So what are you going to do with the time? You're going to work on your personal projects. You're going to work on finding ways to make money because you know, what other options do you have? You've got to keep trying to make money. You've got to make a living for your family and stuff, right? That's what everyone would do. So are they doing something wrong? I don't think so. Even from a business standpoint, I don't think that this is that unreasonable. I don't think it Maybe it goes against something in their contracts. I know that WWE is very finicky with these details and would probably put something in the contracts to, to stop them. But given this latest announcement, I would say it's probably not something that they anticipated. But now I would wager if, if you sign a WWE contract now, you won't be able, it will probably have something in there like you can't do Twitch, you can't do Cameo, you can't do anything outside unless WWE says it's allowed kind of thing. But I think that the wrestlers should be allowed to do it using their real names. I don't think that you can justify that. You know, for instance, if you have a uh, page, let's take page again as an example. If you have her going by her, her actual name and people find out, people know her as page, right. But she's going by her normal name. Um, I think as long as she doesn't, discuss anything related to wwe you know um like insider stuff i mean she wouldn't anyway but like just hypothetically if people were asking her stuff uh or asking her to do stuff that's like unacceptable or whatever then that could uh represent a conflict of interest for the company right but if it's just her streaming some games talking to her fans i i don't i don't see how that's unreasonable i don't see how you can justify banning someone particularly when they're not using the likeness um like i said i think the the lines blur when when certain things are revealed that maybe perhaps shouldn't be a good recent example is when aj styles uh, on his um twitch sort of said some insider stuff about working with paul Heyman and stuff he was just giving his genuine opinion and that's fair it's his twitch he can do what he wants but yeah, I mean, he's still contracted for the company. So anything he says is likely to get him in trouble. I don't know as where that stands from a legal standpoint, but um, potentially I guess that could get him in trouble. Um, so there, there are blurred lines. I don't think this is a, a very black and white situation that you can easily kind of say is one way or the other. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, I think it's something that needs to be worked out. But I think WWE needs to be fairer. Uh, I don't think they've been very fair in this pandemic and um they've really, I feel, shown their true true colours. And that's not to say they haven't been arseholes before, because they have to many wrestlers. And I thought for many for more recent years I thought they were getting better. I thought they were becoming more reasonable as a company. But I, I think they're in many ways becoming less reasonable, you know? I mean in a time when things are uncertain and you don't know what to expect and you don't know kind of where things are headed, I think you need to kind of give your performers some hope, some reassurance instead of just kicking them out on the curb. You know, I understand this idea of cutting costs, but you could have cut costs elsewhere before you cut your people. Do you know what I mean? And and they always talk about being a family and, and being there for their, their employees. But they're really not i think that they see them very much as a kind of asset as opposed to you know being part of the family kind of thing that's not to say that they treat everyone like that because there are exceptions in that company but when you hear so many stories that are consistent and they all have the same kind of feeling even the guys that come out of those companies or girls um that don't diss the company they say oh thanks for the time you know, and they're polite and they're nice and they're thankful. Even those people, you know, that they're, they're better off elsewhere and they're happier. You know, take FTR as an example. You know, they were given many opportunities in WWE, but they just weren't portrayed in a very flattering manner. And, you know, WWE doesn't really prioritize prioritize its tag team division in the way that other companies do. They are getting a little bit better with this but it's not consistent enough. And I think that's the issue with WWE has always been consistency. It's uh, it's a case of trying to, to kind of appeal to what wrestlers, what, what is best for wrestlers? You know, I think that needs to be something that needs to change moving forward. Um, so that's kind of my spiel on, on, on that, on, on the Twitch stuff. I mean, I think that, you know, it, it could it could be um, it could be argued both ways i think um but i think they should be allowed to do what they want under their own likenesses i think that's perfectly reasonable um aew seems to be allowing its wrestlers to actively promote themselves under their names as well um but i would argue though that a lot of those wrestlers own their own names so <laughs> um from the independence so i don't i think it might be a little bit different if if aew creates gimmicks And you start seeing those same people using those gimmicks on other social media platforms um, or um, for things like Cameo and Twitch. Maybe we might see a a similar situation with them in the future. We never know. I mean, this has just come up. But to address the bigger question of (laughs) why is Vince McMahon insane? Um, I don't think he's insane. I think he's, he's a workaholic. I think, and I, that's something that I understand. I'm a big workaholic as well. Um, I think he lives and breathes sports entertainment. He always has. He's very passionate about it. It's a part of him. And when you're that passionate about what you love, you can spend so much more time on it than, than other people do. You know, like for instance, with my marketing work, I don't have the same passion that I do with say my music or my uh, content creating you know it's it's not the same so I find myself getting like bored or having to take several breaks at one time when I'm doing my marketing stuff because I see it as something I just have to get out of the way I have to get it done right I find things in it that I enjoy and I, I always make the best of it and do it to the best of my ability but I have to have breaks I have to continually try and motivate myself whereas if I'm working on you know podcasting youtube music i can go for like hours upon hours upon hours sometimes without eating and still have the same level of like motivation and still be actively engaged in what i'm doing and enjoy the whole process and, and be just constantly into it the whole time you know and that's something that I think comes from that passion of, of living and breathing it and enjoying it and, and just enjoying the work, being passionate about the work. I think this is something that a lot of people don't understand because they don't always necessarily do what they love. They do jobs that pay the bills that, you know, get them from a to B, you know, that they're not passionate about. Maybe they're good at, maybe they like, but they're not like passionate about it. They don't like, you know, wake up in the morning and feel excited about it. Take this podcast, for example. was a bit apprehensive about it but i was excited to do it i was excited to talk about wrestling i was excited to just talk and do a podcast because i love to do podcasting that's why i keep doing it right and you know i know that there's loads of work involved with it i know i'm gonna have to edit this afterwards right but i don't mind it's part of the process i enjoy it right but i don't enjoy you know, the same kind of process, say with marketing, because to me it's, it's a job and it's not something that I'm as passionate about. Bringing that back to Vince McMahon, I think it's the same thing. He's a man that's very passionate about what he does. And I think people that don't get that can see that as being crazy. Like, oh, he's a workaholic. He's, you know, how can he be so involved with that and so obsessed with it? Like what's wrong with him? That's one element I think that I understand and and kind of can relate to him on. Now, as it pertains to everything else, his um, eccentricity, his overall personality, he's an out there guy. He's an eccentric guy. He's, you know, we we all know someone who's a bit of a character, you know? Characters are what make life interesting. Um, Some people say he's a good guy. Some people say he's a bad guy. I think that comes down to perception. Your relationship to him. I think first and foremost, he is a businessman. He has a heart. He's not an asshole. I think he's done bad things in his life, questionable things, but I think he's a good guy at heart. I think it's just the nature of business sometimes makes people do things that aren't necessarily morally just or, you know, aren't always necessarily the, like the right things in life, but are good for business, you know? And then that's a trade off in business sometimes, you know, is, is you have to make those tough decisions. And he's a guy that makes those tough decisions because I think he believes in his vision. He believes in what he's doing. And some people see that as crazy. Some people say, yeah, it, de- it depends. It really depends on your perception in life of, of like different things. I personally don't think that Vince McMahon is crazy I just think he's passionate he's driven um I like the guy uh, I don't always agree with everything that he does I think he makes plenty of mistakes I think he does things that aren't quite acceptable um but he's human you know what I mean <laughs> we're all human we all make mistakes we all do things wrong and right and you know he's made an entire career he's made an Empire, you know, not just not just a successful company. He's made something that will live on for generations. You know, there are, there might be companies emerging like AEW that are representing a challenge, but I think it's next to impossible to be able to defeat WWE in the classic sense that say like AEW. Uh, sorry, uh, WCW presented the challenge back in the day. They could have potentially put WWF out of business at one point in the mid '90s. That was very possible. But over the years, you know through successful decision after successful decision, after uh, Vince McMahon embracing you know the culture embracing new people 's ideas, this is the thing he's always had people around him that are younger that are uh, more involved in in kind of um, today 's society today's culture you know he's always willing to take on new ideas. There are a lot of people that will say that he you know is out of touch and doesn't embrace um, today's society and stuff. And I think there are elements of truth in that because he is reverting a lot of the time or referring back to what has worked in the past, right? Because when you're looking at business and you're doing things successfully, you want to replicate things that you've done before. You want to say, well, this worked before this made me money before. So I'm going to keep doing it this way. You know, why would we try it this way when that's never made me money before, but that's the reality of business as well as you've got to do things that will potentially, make you money make you more money than you've ever made before and he he is at heart a businessman so he's going to try different things he's not always going to get it right um sometimes he'll put his foot down you know um i think a lot of business is feeling things out being confident about things It's, it's as much about being logical and using your mind as it is about trusting your heart trusting your emotions on things i think maybe Vince's problem is that he doesn't always trust in things for long enough you know he, he gets a bit I don't want to say scared because I don't think that's the right word but maybe he gets a bit anxious about certain things and pulls the plug too early or maybe he does things that are like a bit illogical but that's kind of the genius of the guy as well because he does things that are left field that sometimes just work and no one kind of expected do you know what I mean It's it's something that kind of you couldn't see coming but everyone loved so i don't know is he insane or why is he insane I, I don't think he's insane i think he does insane things sometimes but i just think he's a good businessman personally <laughs> um it's funny i thought i would be and find myself criticizing him but i i'm not it's um something that i i, I didn't i don't find myself criticizing Funny enough so yeah it is what it is But anyway, uh, that kind of draws us to a close for today's episode. This was wrestling me talking about wrestling. Um, yeah. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you want to hear more. Um, I don't think we're always going to talk about wrestling on this podcast because this podcast is about many different things. Um, you know, it's about interviewing people and getting to know people. It's about having, you know, deep conversations, talking about all different things. I don't want it to just become a wrestling podcast, but I would be open to doing a wrestling podcast potentially. I'm just saying, but I don't know. I would would rather appear on other people's podcasts because I don't have the time to keep up with everything in the wrestling world. I mean, I'm amazed that some people can, I mean, that takes dedication. I can just about keep up with all the WWE pay-per-views and everything AEW, but it leaves very little time for everything else if i'm indeed i'm going to continue doing everything else that i like to do (laughs) so it is very much a case of picking and choosing but like i said in the beginning i wanted to do this episode i love wrestling i always will it's a very very strange thing i think it's like marmite you either love it or you hate it i love it i always will let me know your thoughts about wrestling about what you think about it i would love to know um let me know future topics you would like to hear me cover on the christian podcast because we're going to do more podcasts like this like i said if we can't find guests then you better believe i'm going to keep doing podcasts like this in depth but at least they'll have some structure like this one had we weren't just rambling the whole time we actually covered a lot of different things and i'm very proud of that so i'm giving myself a pat on the back (laughs) Anyway, just want to say another big thank you to everyone listening to the Christian Reef podcast on all different platforms. I love you all. Thank you so much for the support. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to see where this podcast leads us because I've been loving it and it's just been so much fun and I just can't wait to keep doing it. I don't know. I just, I really enjoy this. I've really been enjoying not just the podcast, but YouTube in general because I've been approaching it from the perspective of, when I have an idea, I go for it. And this is one of the reasons why I don't do the podcast with a, a clear schedule. I do it as and when. So yeah, sometimes you might be waiting a while for a good podcast, um, but it will come because I'll come with an idea. I won't just do things for the sake of it. I never will because I feel like bad content is produced when you when you come at it, come at it with that attitude. Sometimes I have a lot of content and a lot of ideas and I'll Make them happen. Sometimes I have no ideas, (laughs) so I just take some time, and that's a very scary thought when when you don't have ideas and you're like, oh no, I need to come up with something, and I feel stressed. But what's better, to make your fans wait and to then deliver something that's really good, or to just produce crap for the sake of it? You know what I mean? I I don't want to do that. I want to present stuff that I'm proud of, that I worked hard on. So. That's the way it is. (laughs) I really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did talking about it. Um, We really went into depth with this one. It was quite a surprising one. I covered things that I didn't think I would cover um, because I was going to come at this from a very generalistic perspective, but I did get into the weeds with certain things. I do apologize if that's not your thing, but um, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Let me know what, you would like to see in the next episode or in an upcoming episode of the Christian Weave podcast. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, peace out, one love. Ciao.